Hello, I'm Liz Jones. If you read my diary in the Mail on Sunday's You magazine, then you'll know me and my life pretty well. But if you've always wanted to know more, this is the place for you. Welcome to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast. I'll be taking you behind the scenes of this week's column before digging back into the archives to find some of the most shocking and hilarious stories from the last 20 years. I'll be doing all this with the help of my assistant, friend and confidant, Nick. Hello. Well, Nicola, this week we had a little bit of a backlash. Another one. Over my column last Sunday. My column last Sunday was pretty much a love letter to Russell, the film star, oh, who I shared a narrow single bed with. And, and snogged. Um, all I'd done, really, is Google him, sign up to my heritage, sign up to the Professional Actors website, God. and say he was the most handsome man in London. That's all I did. But I got these tweets, and one particularly nasty tweet from someone said, Russell can be easily identified, you've crossed the line, you're officially a stalker. Well, I think we need to be really careful when we use words like stalker. I really do. Doesn't every woman Google a man they fancy? Doesn't, if I was looking up my old school friend and wanted to get in touch with her, or I'd just seen her in a documentary on telly and I wanted to say hi... I'd probably Google her. Perfectly normal. It's normal. I've, I've Googled exes to, just to see if I can find out if they got married or if they've got kids or what's happened to them, you know, because we're not in touch anymore. I've done it. I mean, stalker is a really strong and offensive word and I think you have to be really careful with what how you use it. And also, I'm sort of looking at my past, celebrating my past, saying actually... I once snogged a really handsome man who went on to become a movie star. If you can't do that, no one would ever be able to write a biography of anyone. No one would ever be able to write a memoir. No one would ever be able to write anything. But it's perfectly fine to abuse me and say, die, bitch, die on Twitter when you're anonymous. But I'm not allowed to Google someone I actually know. But it's also, everything's so over the top now, isn't it? You know, you, you say something on Twitter and there's, there's a backlash or people are nasty. Everything is just so elevated on social media. I mean, I posted yesterday a, a tweet saying, could someone give Dots at London, a, an amazing charity that helps the Explain homeless... Explain what Dots London are for people who don't know. Yeah, they're an amazing charity. They help, Dogs on the street. They're, they're dogs on the street. They help the homeless and their dogs. They provide free medical care. They provide uh, for dogs. They help their owners with accommodation and with, with anything they need, really. They're incredibly supportive. They've got a film premiere coming out about their charity and they were asking if someone could provide a hotel room and they were perfectly happy to pay. So I put a tweet out saying, could someone help them with a hotel room and not pay because their money's better off going into the charity and they do such good. And I got a message saying, well, why don't you pay, love? And I would willingly pay if I but had you the don't money. own a hotel, you don't own an Airbnb Absolutely. property. What are they going to do, sleep on your head? Absolutely, and it's kind of like... Oh, my God, I'm just putting out... I'm trying to help this charity. I'm trying to help these people. And I get a backlash for for trying to help a charity. So 
all the things no, now I get, are over I, the top. I get huge backlash. Um, huge. You know, I might promote something vegan and then I get this tweet from this woman who's dug up a piece in 1997 from my archive when I said something was buttery soft leather. Well, that's probably a fact. So I had to reply with that saying I haven't bought a pair of leather shoes since 1998. I haven't bought a handbag since the 90s. And the last handbag I've got, and the only one I've still got, because I sold all the rest for charities, was given to me by Prada. What yeah. was I supposed to do? Throw it in the rubbish? I need one bag to carry my purse round in. I think, uh, yeah, and I think you have to be careful how you use words. Stalker is a nasty... Nasty word. I mean, I've no, had but I don't think that's mean for people to dig up something no, I wrote it... in 1997. People can change. People can improve. I hope I have improved. But that's the whole idea, isn't it? We evolve as as people. I mean, most vegans at some point were meat eaters. You know, I wasn't, but most most were. And you know, we change. We educate ourselves. Our opinions change, and we move on. And have they nothing better to do? I'm, I'm too busy to dig up stuff from someone from 20 years ago. I really am. I've, I've but got this, you know, stuff to you do. You sort of feel that people have a vendetta against you and really they need to choose someone better to attack online. Why attack me? I just don't understand it. Yeah, go on Twitter and you attack the fur industry and you attack people that are hunting illegally, you know, and, yeah. and killing foxes and, the, and their hounds are mewling lambs. Dogs getting shot in the head, horses getting punched in the face. By all means, go and attack those and make those accountable. But be careful what you call people. Be careful how you attack them. I mean, I've, I've had two stalkers in my life, serious stalkers you know where i've had to go to the police had injunctions against and it kind of funny. proves nick to lighten the moment a little bit it kind of proves watch it you, you could <laughs> watch it it could, kind of proves you can have a man stalking you obsessively watch it and you don't have to be emily ratajowski you know who she is uh, yeah, yeah yeah and she's smirking a lot saying this she's smirking a lot but, I mean, stalking's serious and it's nasty and it's frightening. You know, I used to come home from my ex. I used to come home from the station. He would be sitting in a car outside the station and drive along next to me. You know, he threatened my animals and I had to keep all my cats in for months. You know, it's frightening. Don't call people a stalker. That's, no. it's, it, it's a really serious, serious thing to do. And it, it's just not acceptable. You know, you're just looking up a bloke you fancy, for Christ's sake. Let's get some perspective on yeah. social media. Choose someone else to attack. Yeah. A huge piece in female today. It's probably award-winning, I would say. And it's all about my love affair with Gucci. Way! And the so brand. No one can attack you for that, presumably, because it's not a man. No, but they do produce leather bags, don't they? They do, but they do other stuff as well. So it's all about my love affair with Gucci, and this is all to do with the film, The House of Gucci, which stars Lady Gaga, which is coming out on Black Friday. So I made a very good point in the piece, saying there's a reason it's coming out on Black Friday. That's the biggest shopping day of the year. Obviously, Gucci is now on everyone's lips, isn't it? And everyone's thinking about Gucci. It is, but I've never seen many significant savings on Gucci on Black Friday, I've got to say. Haven't you? No, I have not. Don't destroy the whole premise of my piece. <laughs> no, but they just need to give some better discounts. 
And also, there was a column by Sarah Vine on Wednesday. This is also related to being a fashion victim. And I admit I'm a fashion victim. I admit, you know, I'm seduced by seeing Kate Moss on the Gucci catwalk in this sort of corset dress with a sort of mesh overlay. And she just looked amazing. And it made, you know, I bought the Tom Ford jeans, which were spangled. And... They are now worth, if I still have them and haven't sold them for charity after a hot wash, they're now worth £14,000. Hang on, hang on. You bought spangled jeans and you take the mick out of me for being an... They were Gucci. They were amazing. But you comment on me wearing sequins. I had Boohoo sequins on for the Christmas party. Yeah, but your sequins are so cheap, they actually go bald. (laughs) But you got them all over your house. So I, I admit I'm a fashion victim, but I'm sticking up for Sarah Jessica Parker after Sarah Vine's column on Wednesday with the headline, Carry On Cringing. She's not as excited as many women, i.e. Liz Jones, about Sex and the City in December. She writes, I don't appreciate the show's high fashion aesthetic. There's more to women than being a fashion plate, and it seems to me that Carrie never was any more than a fashion plate. Well, first of all, Nicola... It's a TV programme. Yeah. When you're watching it, you don't want to see her in an old tracksuit bottom with toothpaste down the front. You want to go, oh, and ah, and think, oh, my God, and how, you know, you want to be transported and clothes help do that. It's a TV programme. I'm sure real spies don't drive Aston Martins. You know. It'd be nice, though, wouldn't it? I'd like it. But they don't dress and behave as James Bond. It's a fantasy. And I'm intelligent enough to understand that Carrie wearing all these clothes is like James Bond driving an Aston Martin. It's supposed to transport you. And no one criticises James Bond for spending money and staying in those hotels. People criticise Carrie because she's got a womb, right? That's my first point. She's on a rant now. She's waving her hands around. Second, she's much, much more than a fashion plate. She's funny. She actually makes me laugh. She's funny. She's a great friend. In the programme, she's a writer who writes books and is a columnist like me. The truth is, I think why people get chippy about Sex and the City, and chippy's come up again, no, hasn't it? No, I'm going to ban it. I'm banning the word chippy. Banning. Why people hate women who wear nice clothes and say that Sex and the City is beneath them, it's also because Sarah Jessica Parker in the programme, doesn't have children. And I think women feel threatened by women who don't have children. And the reason is that we get up, we float around, we put on lovely clothes, and we wash our underwear in the sink, as their lives are drudgery, and we're not drudges. And that's why so many women hate Sarah Jessica Parker and hate me as well. We're in a club of two. Yeah, but can I just put a reality check on this? You don't get up and float around. You get up and feed dogs. And yeah, but I could. Drag on joppers with holes in. <laughs> don't destroy the, the, the illusion. That's Sex and the City, you <coughs> Philistine. I've got news for you. That's not what it sounds like when you sing it. <laughs> I could go on Mastermind, specialist subject Sex and the City. I could, I'd win. I'd wipe the you floor would. with you your would, position. You would, to be fair, you would. 
I've been writing about sex in the city since 1998. Week in, week out. So there must be something in it because actually sex in the city has got a huge following. A huge following. Me. So, well, not just you, but a lot of your readers have written to me and said, Nick, you have to watch Sex in the City. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? It's a bit girly for me. I'm just not not girly. No, but I like murders and crimes and thrillers and horrors. I'm not really into the... It's not girly. Just because it's women talking doesn't mean it's girly gossip. And if you ever put the word gossip in the furniture around the tweets of the pod go and work for Bryony or whoever else you Darren like. Brown, Darren Brown Darren I'm available, I'm all yours, I'm really cheap for you. So the heading on this first piece about Sex in the City which is now vintage like my <laughs> wardrobe was like called us. Models and Mortals it was in a section of the Sunday Times called Family Life. I never knew I wrote it for that section. Oh, well, you learn something every day. One episode of Sex and the City, the raunchy series starting this week. How many years ago was that? Looks at people who only date models. It sounds great, but isn't always a bed of roses, testifies Liz Jones. <laughs> How many models have you dated then? One. <laughs> Don't forget, I've had a film star. Uh, and the film star, the model and the film star. Your three and a half men seem ever-expanding, I'm telling you. There's a line in the very first Sex in the City that says, why date the girl in the skirt when you can date the girl in the ad for the skirt? Oh. So, Ooh. when I was on Company magazine, why date the man who works in the shop in Covent Garden? Why not date the model who wore the clothes in Company magazine, and that's what I set out to do. (laughs) Christopher. (laughs) You've got this look of determination on your face, even thinking about it. One night over dinner, I remember a group of friends talking about the fact that Pinewood Studios had just burnt down. So I'd taken the model to that dinner, but, and his response to Pinewood Studios burning down was, oh, no, all those trees. He thought it was a wood. Bless him. Bless, yeah. bless. Yes. And I turned up to meet him. He had a flat in Knightsbridge. And I rang on the door. And he put his head out the window to see who it was. Or it was me and shut the door and didn't answer the doorbell. That's a bit mean, isn't it? Perhaps he was just embarrassed about the state of his flat or something. Christopher went back to Southern California and I went back to more normal man. Well, only three and a half. Not that normal. One was a film star. Oh, God. Uh, is this included in three and a half? I don't think it is. I think it, you need to up your, your age range. So I thought, having been not allowed into his flat, even though he leaned his head out the window to see it was me and then shut the window and didn't answer the door, I thought my best bet was to date someone really unattractive with a boring job, thinking he would make an effort to pay me compliments and do the vacuuming. No such luck. He still went off with someone half my age and half my intellect. And I ended that piece with saying the spin-off of my version of Sex and City would be called Absolutely No Sex in the City. <laughs> but you've made up for it since. So I've been writing about Sex and the City since 1998. I will watch it at some point, I will. It's not girly. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, it's I just 
it's not there's there's no horror is there? there's no demons and there's no you know supernatural stuff but demons don't exist they do they do do they they do they do they're all in their heads you can read this week's diary in full Mail on Sunday's You magazine. So my column this Sunday is also a little bit of a look back. What are we looking to? I am reminiscing about the good times, which is quite unusual, isn't it? It is. So last week's column not only talked about me stalking Russell... It also talked about the fact, because Russell didn't reply to my emails, I emailed a man for sex. So this is the sequel. So I arranged to meet the man just for sex. I told him to be at my hotel at 9pm, not a moment before. He didn't prevaricate when I texted, do you want to come to my room? Not a relationship, no talking, no arguments. He replied with a simple yes. You see, this is the way forward with men. You just tell them what you want and then they just do it. Yeah, that that works. But before all the sex, I was meeting an old friend for dinner. Her name is Alex and we worked together on Company magazine from 1981 to 1984, which is when I left to work in Fleet Street. Now, when I got to Fleet Street, it was still hot metal, so I used to get quite dirty. What do you mean by hot metal? Well, it wasn't done on computers and stuff. It was, each letter was a piece of upside-down metal that then had ink pulled over it. Oh, my God. That's positively archaic. So when I wrote my little shopping basket copy on a typewriter with Tipex, oh I then God. pulled it off the typewriter, rolled it up and put it in a tube, and then that tube whizzed it down to the hot metal people, who little men who made it into pieces of type. Thank God for technology. We still don't put a newspaper together any faster, I have to say. But me and Alex lost touch. She got married, had two children. I became a workaholic. She got back in touch during lockdown, sending me photos from the holiday we took together in Portugal in 1983. We meet in Kettner's, which is now a Soho house, and location for my planned love nest. She looks exactly the same. I remember the, her laugh straight away. She says we always used to come to Kettner's for editorial meetings when it was still a Pizza Express. She brings up names of people we used to work with. Amanda Grieve, who became Lady Harlick. Why didn't I marry a lord? I don't know. That'd be quite nice, wouldn't it? And the muse of Karl Lagerfeld. Why am I not a muse? (laughs) I don't know. I also used to work with someone called Angel Bacon, and I always used to think that was such an amazing name, to be called Angel. Yeah, I think that's something you may blame your parents for in the school playground, though. Yeah. No, no, I wanted to be called Angel. I remind Alex that a young Mario Testino would hang out in the office, touting for work. She recalls coming to my rented flat share in Brixton when my sister would make vegetable curry. I still serve curry with pineapple, banana and coconut, she says, as Sue did. My children think I'm mad. She remembers vividly the boys next door, including, of course, David, whom I was madly in love with. On that holiday in Portugal, she said, all you did was pine and perform endless sit-ups by your bed and sunbathe topless on the roof. I did sunbathe topless. 
Did you? Yeah. I can't imagine you sunbathing topless. That was before I had the surgery, you see. Yeah, I just I sort of can't imagine it. She's still in touch with a few people from the magazine, but I'm not. I'm only in touch with her. All they remember of me, she says, is that I'd come to the office straight from a workout at Pineapple Dance Studios in Covent Garden. That was in the days when it still sold lettuce and some parsnips and potatoes. And while at my desk, I would get out a mirror and check my face every few seconds. Even though I was in my 20s, working on a fashion glossy just off Carnaby Street, I lied to David and said I worked on Harper's and Queen. <laughs> but you were already doing quite well. But it wasn't good enough, she oh, said. Okay. Harper's and Queen magazine was on the same floor as Company magazine, over a partition, and I used to... Tip tippy toe and look over the partition at all the posh girls working on Harper's and Queen. Anyway, he one day he turned up at the office off Carnaby Street to visit me, went to Harper's and Queen, said my name, and they said they'd never heard of me, so he thought I was a fantasist. Uh, we, we were. <laughs> yeah, but I was only next door. <laughs> Alex reminds me, we went to see Adam and the Ants. I was oh, obsessed. I love them, Prince Charming. Prince Charming. I, was, I, I went to the V&A to visit his costume that he wore on Stand and Deliver on Top of the Pops. There it was. Oh, I loved him. I remember having a birthday party when I was really young and we all lined up across the front room doing the dance. <laughs> <laughs> with the little white stripes on their face. So I was obsessed with Adam Ant. And because I worked on Company Magazine, not on Hoppers and Queen, I arranged to interview him and he showed me his wardrobe of costumes. He had Vivian Westwood, body map. But my piece was so awful, because I'd only just sort of started out, that it never made it into print. And I think he's still smarting about it. Where's the piece on my costumes and my wardrobe? Oh dear. I might dig it up now and use it. He was beautiful though, wasn't he? Very good looking, yeah. yeah. He was actually beautiful. I asked Alex if she came with me to Wham's very first concert on the Strand, and she said no. I was invited by his PR, the first of a lifetime of freebies. And read my Gucci piece today if you want to see more, more stuff about freebies. And eventually I got to know George Michael quite well. I took him to a restaurant in Hampstead where he'd said, Liz... You're the first person to offer to pay for dinner. That's terrible, isn't it? He had money, and so people think that he's... Well, because he's got money and he's famous, and people think he's got money. But that's, that's nothing to do with you doing your bit, paying your share. That's, why should he pay? He's worked for his money. Why should he pay for other people? I hate that attitude. I hate it. So when I told Alex this antidote, she said, well, I bet that's happened to you. Hasn't it? Oh, yeah, repeatedly. As soon as I became successful, I was expected to pay for yeah. everything. Yeah. Relatives, friends, men, husbands. Yeah. I, d I don't understand it. I don't want someone to pay for me all the time, however much money they've got. I'd rather go Dutch or, or take turns because that's just the right thing to do. I hate it. But it was funny sitting there with Alex, who's... I think she's retired now. She's got her two grown-up children. She volunteers. She goes to yoga. She goes to Pilates. She's got a lovely husband. And compared with me, she, there she is sitting there thinking, oh, well, this is like George Michael. 
But she must think how chaotic my life is. But mm. I didn't wake up wanting my life to be chaotic. I'm sure George Michael didn't wake up no. wanting his life to be chaotic. We are the victims of people taking advantage of us and thinking we've got money and riding on our success. And, you know, I wanted to, the same as George, I wanted to share my success with people. I wanted to take someone to Morocco. I wanted them to have a lovely house or to have a car. or I wanted to share it, but I didn't understand they'd leave me with nothing. But also, there's an awful lot so of pressure. So you can see how unhappy it's made me. Yeah. You can see how unhappy it made George Michael. Otherwise, he'd be alive. If he hadn't been successful, he'd still be alive. But there's a lot of pressure, isn't it, in being the provider. There's a lot of pressure in being the person that is successful and that earns money and employs people or helps family. You know, it, it it's difficult. It's not just straightforward, is it? But it's funny. Every I mean, you see my emails. I mean, I had an email from a lovely woman who was trying to help me with my brain scans or the vertigo and all that kind of stuff. And her daughter is in her 30s and she got an infection in university and she is now so ill she can only move her eyes. That's awful. But this woman was trying to help me. And then I had another email from someone wanting me to give a talk, didn't I, lunch? Nicholas Parsons' widow. And I had another email from someone wanting me to help this Help to Read initiative in South Africa. But I always do try and help. Yeah, of course. And I was shocked when I read the memoir, and it's her right to write her memoir, by Decca Aitkenhand. And she lost her partner who drowned trying to rescue her children, they weren't covered by the insurance. She lost her home, then she got breast cancer. And she emailed a celebrity and then she didn't even get a reply. But I will always try and help someone. But I also think that's been my downfall because I've never looked after myself. I think as well, it's very easy, isn't it? Because when you're well known or you're seen to to be someone that cares about different issues, you get a lot of requests. So it's not just, I mean, even me... I get a lot of requests to help charities and I try my absolute best to, to do that. But I think somehow that you've got to have a level of self-preservation. Yeah. Do you see what you I mean? Do. Which you I've do. never done really until now. No. Anyone asked me for something, I gave it yeah. to them. Do you see and what I mean? And it's just not sustainable, unfortunately. You know, I, I talk about Gucci in the paper today and, you know, I got given a Louis Vuitton suitcase. I gave it to my PA. Yeah. And I'm now thinking, why did I do that? Because she's not in touch with me anymore. No. You know? She took the suitcase and ran. Yeah. No, I, I think you do. You do have to have a level of self-preservation. And, and you're not very good at that. I'm not very good at that. But You are. You are. No, no, I'm not. I mean, no, I'm only teasing you. <laughs> she looked very serious there. Um, you do get a lot of requests. Even me, who's not well known, I get a lot of requests to help charities because... It, People have seen that I do auctions, you know, for charity or, you know, I've been organising food. Um, IAMS have been amazing. They've donated food to a charity. I'm trying to help ARC Animal Rescue Centre in Kefalonia. And we've got um, airlines providing free transport. So, you know, to pull that all together is brilliant. It's all these amazing people coming together to help. But... It takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of effort, and to try and do it for everybody, it, it's really difficult. But it's, you know, the main thing I take... I tried to share my success with people, and they just took everything and became resentful. I ended up having to pay my nephew to put the chickens in. 
I didn't understand they just wanted to take it away from you because they were chippy. I'm, I'm sorry. Can't say chippy. But they were. I can't. I can't. <laughs> and I think particularly when you're a they were woman, jealous. people don't want you to have nice stuff. With a man, it's kind of like expected and you don't question it. But with a woman, particularly a woman without children, you just get people saying, well, what do you... Th-? I remember when I was in Big Brother and I was talking to Louisa. Yeah. And she said to me, you know, how are you coping in here? And I said, well, it's great because at least, you know, for three weeks I'm not spending any money. And she said to me, what on earth do you spend money on apart from busy water? And I find that quite how insulting, weird. actually. I have you. You're very expensive. Like everyone, I have. I have to. I have to pay to live somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I have to dress nicely for yeah. work. I've got animals. Yeah, of course. I paid thirty thousand pounds for my mum's care because I didn't want to strain the NHS. Of course, I. Just because you don't have bleeding children doesn't mean you don't have commitments. Ab- absolutely not. So I should have punched her on screen, and that would have been just, on YouTube. Just weird, because I'm sure she has to pay for her house and her animals and her family. Yeah, but people family. just see you as a single woman as not needing anything. You don't need... Like when Lucy Cavendish came to my house, she said, why do you need a big garden? I think as well, from my observing over the years, I think it's not even just that people don't want you to have it. They do want you to have it. But what they do is they expect you to keep working like a, you know, like a workhorse and pulling in the money and writing the articles yeah. and providing. And then when you do mention them in a piece of copy, they object to it. Who do you think bought your dinner? Who do you think bought your house? Who do you think took you to Morocco? That pays for that. Yeah. Who do you think bought the dinner and the sugary cappuccinos? Me. Yeah, and it's kind of like they just expect you to keep going. They they just expect you to keep working, keep providing, keep paying. And they whenever think, I see some a famous pop star who's probably quite old or a film star taking on another film role, and I'm thinking, my God, I'd just be put, keep putting my feet up. I'm probably thinking, yeah, they've probably just got divorced and they've got alimony or yeah. they've got children demanding yeah. money off them. And it's a sad thing, as the more you earn. The, the more you spend, don't you? I mean, it's... It, it, and it's I was pathetically grateful last weekend. I told you about this. I was doing the horses all morning on my own and it was so windy and I had to write two big pieces that same day, yeah. one about Gucci, one about puffer coats. And my friend Isabel emailed me and she said, oh, what are you doing? Do you want to go for lunch? And I said, well, I've been doing the horses since 8 in the morning. I'm exhausted by the wind. I've got two pieces to write. And she went to a restaurant and got me a roast vegetarian dinner and brought it to my house. And I almost cried because no one does anything for me. it's, It's the little things, isn't it? It's the little things that really make a difference. It doesn't have to be a big thing. It doesn't have to be a lot of money. I think a lot of times when you're involved with someone, and not you because I know this isn't your reality, but people's perception, when you're involved with someone that's well-known and you think's got a lot of money, you kind of think there's nothing I can give them that they can't afford themselves. But it's not about that. It's about being thoughtful. It's about doing stuff. But where's my birthday present? They can't. <laughs> <laughs> Every week, lots of you get in touch, telling me what you think about my life and my decisions. So I think it's only fair that you get to have your say here on the podcast too. If you'd like to get in touch, then go to lizjonesgoddess.com or tweet me at lizjonesgoddess.com. Thank you.
other readers this week, our lovely readers. Our lovely readers. Okay, so we've got we've got Claire, and she says, "Dear Liz, she my dead sister." Claire she's not from your the grave. no, no. She's a different Claire. She says, "Dear Liz, come on, Missus. If you have the guts to contact an old flame, then you can contact Nigel. Doing it once proves it's not so scary, and I'm a sucker for a happy ending. Lots of love, Claire." I think Nigel knows I love him. But I agree with her. Why can you contact one old flame but not contact Nigel? But I did contact Nigel and I said, next time you come to England, let's meet up. And he said, he, he said that's very doubtful I'm ever coming to England. But still a bit, you could just say, how are you? I've seen you on marriage, you're looking well, how are you? He's looking very well. <laughs> that's because he's lonely and he's sitting there no, in restaurants. No, I think he's got remarried. Oh, God. Right, you won't know unless you contact him, will you? And we've got Mel who says, Listen, Nick, I love, 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 love your podcast. I think I added an extra love in for artistic and temperament. Um, I make my husband listen to it as it's a masterclass to men of what women want. Keep them coming. I think that's quite, probably quite true, isn't it? We, we tell it as it is about, you know. We want you to change. This is for men. We want oh you to change light bulbs. So I don't have to do it. Well, you haven't done it because look at the darkness. <laughs> You like darkness, you don't like lights on. Can't have it both ways, Jones. We want you to turn up when we want sex, then you want you to go away. We want you to pay for dinner. That's it. Well, that's it from us this week. If you enjoyed listening to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, why not visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcast videos, opinion pieces and more. I'll be back next Sunday, but for now, I'm Liz Jones. And I'm Nick. Goodbye. Goodbye.